0: Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thrizer. And be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 214 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having an awesome start to your day. My guest today is Miranda Palmer. Miranda is from ZinnyMe.com. Uh, Miranda's a good friend. And today we're talking all about making this transition from clinical work into online courses. I know that e-courses and online courses are something that many of us are thinking about. Miranda has a wealth of knowledge having, you'll hear this in an interview, but um, she and Kelly have developed three online courses. And today we're just having an honest conversation about the good and the bad and the ugly of online courses. I wanted to have this conversation because I feel like it's very easy to get sucked into this uh, idea of I need to create an online course. And, but there's some unique challenges that come to online courses. It's a lot of fun and it's neat creating, but especially if you don't be mindful about how you're creating it and some of the hazards and the roadblocks, then, then, you know, it's just, it can add more stress. And that's the last thing I would want for any of you guys. So before we do get to today's podcast conversation, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Wellness Five for supporting today's podcasting services and our today's podcast. I don't know why I said podcasting services, but WellnessFive is a brand new sponsor. They actually provide bookkeeping and tax advising and tax return prep for mental health private practitioners. And one of the really, really cool things that they actually do is they have a tiered plan. And so basically you pay a super reasonable cost depending on the revenue of your business. So you're not paying any more than you need to. And those plans include everything from tax return prep for your business and your household, tax advising, monthly bookkeeping, and then any sort of assistance with compliance. And then if you need some additional things like an S-Corp add-on or just a state add-on, that's just a little bit more, but it's again super reasonably priced. You can find more about Wellnessfi and the services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash wellnessfi. That's W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-F-I dot com. So we'll get right to today's podcast session. Here's my conversation with Miranda Palmer from zinnyme.com. Hey, Miranda, welcome to Selling the Couch.
1: Hey, Melvin. Thanks for having me here.
0: Um, I, I know we were talking about this right before we get started, but one, I felt like it's been so long since we've connected. I'm just genuinely happy. One, that we get to talk today, and I'm grateful for you and just the wealth of knowledge, and more importantly, just who you are as a person. So I'm grateful you're with us today.
1: Thank you, Melvin. I just love what you do and how you help people. And so I'm excited to be here with you personally, and then also with your community to to help and support and hopefully some, give some people some direction that they need.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know that this topic, which is how do we make that transition from clinical work to online courses? I know that this is something that a lot of clinicians are thinking about you know i think one of the biggest lessons i know you've had this realization as well but like i was thinking like for a long time my idea of income generation was that i traded time to create income mm-hmm. and it's been it's been a difficult process i think to break some of that and you know just all the emotions and the guilt that comes out of that and all that stuff but online courses i think are just such a interesting area to go into because there's just so much potential there. So I'm really looking forward to diving deep into online courses.
1: Me too. It's such a it's such a juicy topic. And I think it's also such a topic that online courses, in some ways, they feel like they've been around for a long time, but they're kind of still just getting started. And there are so many... Examples that you see of these like amazing, like, wow, this online course and it blew up and it changed someone's life. And then you talk with people also who are like, I did this online course, like, nothing happened.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's, well, I mean, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have this podcast conversation because I feel like I've had something similar too, like when I've talked to other of our colleagues and they're like, you know, I spent all this time and money and energy into this and then like it didn't do as well, you know, but I wanted to actually start kind of at the top, which is like, why online courses? Out of all
1: <laughs> <things>? <laughs> right. You know, I think one of the things that we know as clinicians is that people are out there looking for change and they, there's a lot of struggle out in the world in relationships and communities and in families, and at the beginning of our careers, sometimes it feels like, especially when we're starting our business and in private practice, it feels like, oh my gosh, if I can just get you know my fifteen or my twenty clients in the door, if I can just get those people, like where are those people? I, I I'm struggling to find them. And then once you really create that solid business plan and your business has a a strong foundation, all of a sudden you go, oh, there's like way too many people that I I can't possibly help. All of a sudden, that number that felt like it was was out of reach, that it was never going to happen to have that solid clinical caseload, all of a sudden you're on the other side of that going, I'm getting an extra five or 10 or 20 people calling a week or a month. And there's nobody for me to refer them to that is doing the kind of unique work that I do. And what, what do I do now? How do I help those people? Because it is really a heartbreaking thing to be on the phone with someone and to hear their story and then to get to the end of it of saying, hey, I, I'd love to help, but I really don't know where to send you at this moment. And that really is happening for clinicians all over the country in big cities and in small towns. And so what are our, what are our options, right? Like how do we help people even in a very like in the real I'm on the phone with a real person not this even this internet marketing <laughs> you know let me change the world just like in a real way clinicians are trying to figure out how do I help the people who are reaching out who need this unique thing that I'm providing in the office and I can't possibly help all of them there's just not enough of me to go around
0: I mean I love the way you're describing it because like you know we're talking about online courses but like it's coming from a perspective of how can I serve those who I can't serve? Right. Versus there's this need, and now how do I capitalize and make more money? Which I mean, of course, money and income is a in Pat Flynn, I think says this really well. He says, Income and money is a byproduct of service. And I love the way you're thinking about it because I, I mean, that's what I try to do. And, you know, with selling the couch as well, and it's a different way you know because then you you're creating an online course where things are it's truly about wanting to help the person and yes and what they're going through versus how can i you know capitalize on what they're struggling with
1: yes and i think it's one of the the pieces that i struggle with when somebody says you know i want to do an online course because i want passive income and I want to make money and I'm I'm tired of doing what I'm doing. And so, how do I how do I build an online course that is going to make me money? And I just I find myself immediately just shut down. <laughs> you know, I absolutely find myself shutting down and it and you know myself and Kelly, we are both huge propon- proponents for profitability and making sure that you have the resource that you need to be able to help the people you want to help and to be able to take care of your family and to take care of your own needs and your retirement, all those things, like we're proponents of that. But that place of, I want to do an online course just because I financially things are not okay, I think that's a really, it's not the place to start.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, I think, I don't know, even that sort of mindset, I think it impacts everything from, sales page to the content that you create, to how it's presented and even the content of the course itself.
1: It really incredibly, like that place of knowing the person that you really deeply want to help and knowing their struggle intimately and having a way to really help them a way that you know works, that is what it's all about. I don't care what you're doing whether it's an online course or a, a webinar or you're writing a book or you know you're doing a retreat or again your clinical service it has to be i really truly like care and i want to help people and i know them and it's through that experience that i think the best online courses are developed the ones that really impact people in a deep way that goes beyond Learning a particular skill or, you know, consuming content, right? Like, it's not just that we want to create an online course and we want people to pay us for that course. We want people to be changed. If you don't care whether somebody actually takes in the information and makes change based on it, then you should not be doing online courses. That's my opinion, of course. <laughs> like it's something important. It's something I think also people look at online courses as, and this is and this is going to be probably wildly unpopular, but as something that they create and they go, oh, I created it and now it's done and now I don't have to look at it. And my experience with online courses is probably great, but also like a terrible example. Like there is nothing passive (laughs) about our online course. There is nothing set it and forget it about what we do because we are constantly listening and watching and engaged with our community and digging down deep into how can we get people more change. And, oh, here's a particular, maybe even a particular personality or a particular subset that we feel like we're not reaching, how can we reach those individuals better, whether whatever their particular learning style is or their personality or their particular places, how do we continually push the envelope and make those shifts?
0: Yeah. And that's the, I mean, you just said it so beautifully well. And I I think the thing I would also add is, you know, the other side of that, which is I completely agree with you. Like online courses are, they're passive in terms of, I guess, that, you know, you just need to create one course and then you could have multiple buyers in that course. Mm -hmm. But yes, they take a ton of work to refine and constantly get better and all of those things. Yeah, I think the, the other thing that I think, this is just something I've learned in my own online course journey, which is that I think it's like with an online course in some ways, like after you validate it, it's better just to get started as opposed to thinking like, I need to get it perfect before i launch
1: yes because, yes
0: right i mean I, I i don't know and you said it beautifully earlier which is there's sometimes you don't have access to data until people go through the course right and so if yeah. you spend all this time trying to validate it or even in your mind thinking of what the perfect course is you don't you may be off you know
1: yes and actually that's one of the pieces that we we recommend is actually not to create a course before you have a cohort, <laughs> which is a very different way of, of doing that. To, to create an outline and to have a sense of what you want to provide and what the outcome you want to provide is, is absolutely powerful. But we have found that having a cohort of people, having people who have bought into that process and that you can even have deeper conversations about what exactly they're looking for and what their particular needs are, when you are able to infuse that into the course creation process, it becomes a much more vibrant and reflective course. So I would rather somebody find their first 10 or 20 people to go through their course and create it with those 10 or 20 real humans in mind, knowing that those people have invested in that they are going to go through the process, that you're going to be able to communicate in with them and, you know, create shifts and bonuses and and changes. This is how we created our second online course. (laughs) So our first online course we created based on, hey, here's what we think people need. And it was really great. It was a $300 course. And we would spend on average two to three hours talking with each person before they would buy our course, which is not the opposite of trading time for money, just so you guys know. Like this is the, the least effective way you could possibly like do an online course. And the course really changed people's lives, but we didn't know how to market it. We didn't know how to sell online. And it was a very steep learning curve. To make that shift and change. And when we created our second online course, actually, I should say our third online course, (laughs) we've done several. We did our third online course, which is our boot camp. We had a very clear idea of what we wanted to include. It was information that we had been coaching and teaching on in all these various ways. And we decided that we want to put this together in a different sort of way. And so we had an outline, we knew what we were selling, we knew what the outcome was. And as we started onboarding people, it actually took a completely different direction than when we thought we would. And it's going to sound like like that's not quite right, but it was actually perfect. We started putting together because people were enrolled in the course and we were thinking, oh, you know, we'll do an hour training per day or what have you. And as we were getting ready and people were onboarding, we we're like, hey, here's some quick tips. Here's a 10-minute video. Here's a 15-minute video. You know, here's three things you can do today. And people immediately said, oh my gosh, I love that these are so short. I love that these are so bite-sized. Like, is this how it's going to be in the course? And we went, Yes, that's actually a much better idea than what we were thinking, which we could have easily ended up with these 60 to 90 minute videos, putting all this information into these, you know, oh, we want to be really thorough versus, you know, what do, what do clinicians, what do business owners really have time for? They have time for 15 to 20 minutes at a time sometimes and to then actually take action and then to get into the next part and take action.
0: Well, I'm glad you're mentioning that because I feel like that's a mistake that I've made. And it's a tension that I always feel. And I don't know if think you feel this too. Tell me what you think. But I feel like there's sometimes this like tension I feel of I I know that bite-sized pieces of content for the sections, of course, are, are a good idea because people are busy. But the tension I always feel is oh my gosh, one, it's like, I want to over deliver. And then two, I have a wealth of knowledge on this blank topic. And so how can I not make a 60 minute, you know? So how do you, I guess, what things have you done to actually like overcome that aspect of it?
1: Yeah, I think it has been really thinking about it from the standpoint of what are the steps. So if, for example, you say, I have 60 minutes on this topic and there's this wealth of information, there's probably in 60 minutes of conversation or teaching, there's probably like 10 action steps you'd want people to understand and take by the end of that 60 minutes. So if you can break up that information and say, hey, here is this bit of information and here's the action step that's related to it. I think that's really helpful. I think the other thing which is really uncomfortable, which is if you do feel like, you know what, people need to have this 60-minute overview to kind of like get, see how all of this works together. And there are times when that can be really powerful is to say, okay, I did this 60-minute overview. That doesn't mean that I don't need to do a five-minute video or some kind of a recap and then break that information up into specific. This is a recap, even if it's just written. Here's a written recap. We talked about this from blank to blank in the video. Now here's what I want you to do. And it could be like transcript from the video, but to break that up into particular pieces can be really powerful. And that's, you know, the online course platforms and the software has really changed and developed, and it's continued to change and develop, even as we're talking right now. And that thing for people to be able to go in and say, I completed a step, not just I watched a video, but like I completed this action step you know, I purchased my my microphone, you know, for your, like for your training, you know, here's this overview. Now I purchased my microphone. I set up my microphone. I figured out how to connect it to zoom or what have you. Okay. Here's another step. I, you know, fill in the blank, right. To break that up into particular steps. And it can feel almost a little bit like redundant, to you as the person who is doing the training because you're thinking, I spent an hour training and I told them exactly what to do. But for the person that's taking in, it's too much to kind of like go through and to break it into those steps and to give the people that easy win where they're able to say, mark complete button. <laughs> you know, even like, okay, all I had to do for this day was watch this hour video, but I'm not expected to take any action. <laughs> like, all I had to do was watch it. Okay, cool. Now, here, it's now broken up into little pieces.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's like focusing on the little wins because, I mean, I think about myself as someone who consumes a course. Likely I'm excited about that topic, but I'm also quite a bit intimidated about whatever the end result of that course is, right? And so I think just as someone that's a user, and I don't know that I always think about this as a creator, but as a user, I would want bite-sized pieces that don't intimidate me or make me more overwhelmed.
1: Exactly, exactly. And it's so easy as a creator (laughs) to... Forget that and to to shift that, Kelly and I in our boot camp, we are constantly finding pieces where we 're breaking up into into smaller chunks and while it could be a little overwhelming that we legitimately have f- over four hundred lessons <laughs> in our business school bootcamp for therapists, like over four hundred lessons like that 's really an intimidating number, but We've found that people really like those little wins and they like to be able to come back to a lesson and know, okay, this is how far I got through those action steps and here's exactly what I have left to do versus going back to a lesson two weeks or two months or two years later and going, oh, I have to start from scratch because I don't even know what I've done and what I haven't.
0: That's a good point. So you started answering my, like the last question I had was, uh, which was like the top three mistakes that clinicians make in creating courses. So one of them is not breaking into steps. Do you have any other, like two additional tips that you've noticed?
1: Yes. And we talked about one of the other ones, which is not really knowing your audience and having them in mind and just creating something that you think is useful but not something that you've actually tested with real people. And I don't mean tested in terms of you have a course and you've done it, but in terms of you've utilized this with clients, you've utilized this with people in the office or on the couch or in retreats, in trainings, that these are tested ways that you've helped people. And then finally, it's that putting the entire course together without selling it (laughs) and without having a plan with how to reach people and actually onboard them into um, purchasing your program. Because it is such an easy thing for us to create content as therapists. Most of us are geeks, (laughs) you know, like we love going to school. Many of us have taught, like I've taught at several universities and, you know, spoken at however many conferences and I've just been doing that for years, so it's very easy for me to create content. But when you do that in a vacuum, and when you do that from a place of not knowing whether this is attested, whether people are actually going to enroll, what it can do is actually just distract you from where you need to be focused in on your business, which is really reaching people. And fortunately or unfortunately, right, coming back to this money piece, if you are not reaching people and they are not enrolling in your program, right, that's telling you, you cannot help them. Like you cannot help them. And whether your program, you know, and again, to start out, I actually sometimes think it can be helpful for a therapist or a creator to even create free content And to see whether they can even quote unquote sell their free content. (laughs) Because I think that's an important piece. If don't create, don't spend thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours creating something when you haven't figured out how to create a piece of content that somebody says, yes, that's worthy of my email address. Right. If you haven't figured out that process, there's, you're not going to get, people are not going to give you money.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like, I guess. That's such a good point because you're. I think a lot of us, we get to that, we think in terms of, okay, they're going to buy the course and then this is what they're going to get. And we don't think to always validate, which is actually one of the other questions I had, which is, we started talking about this right at the beginning, which is, you know, many of us have these great ideas for online courses. The reality is they do take a lot of work. And then the other reality is, you know, I've, I mean, you shared this and I've come across a lot of our colleagues who have, Put in, I mean, you know, lots and lots of hours and thousands of dollars. And I mean, they've like hired, you know, video production companies to come, editors, everything, right? And yet they haven't validated the course, right? Which I think that's such a key step because how do you know if one, how do you know if people even want this content, right? And so, what are for you like, what are three indicators that an online course could be? that it could actually develop into an online course. How do you, I guess, how do you validate three ways that you could validate that?
1: Yeah, three ways that you can validate. So one thing that I think it's almost like I'm gonna say this almost in a little bit different way, but like how do you validate that you're ready to create an online course as as a clinician or what have you? And I think the first thing is that you have a a clear community of people that are coming to you in particular for a particular issue or topic. And that piece, whether that some, most of the time this means that you're getting like significant traffic to your website. Most of the time, sometimes you might have a Facebook group or some kind of other way of engaging people, but you need to have a very clear audience that's coming in and One of the things I think is interesting is when you look at just general conversion rates. I I always love it when a therapist is like, I'm getting, you know, 100 views a week, but I'm only getting like two people calling me. And I'm like, yeah, that's about right. And they're like, what? (laughs) Like, it's about, you know, from 1% to 3% of people that are going to be converting from your website. Even if you have a really great website, you're not going to have, you know, 70 or 90% of those people who are ready to call because people are in different stages of change. People are having different experience with your website. There's so many different aspects to that. So really make sure that there is some audience coming in. And I think that second piece, which is creating a, some kind of piece of content that people trust you enough that they are giving you their email address. If you cannot convert an email address, then people are not going to give you their credit card information. This is, and there there are, you'll hear examples of other people who will say other things. And there's some reasons around that, like, oh, you know, do a paid program from the beginning and use Facebook ads and you can use Facebook ads to validate your program. And you're like, okay, great a thousand dollars, two thousand, five thousand dollars later, my my program isn't validated now. What do I do? <laughs> you know, I prefer personally, Kelly and I are bootstrappers, meaning we don't go out and invest a ton of money into things that are not impactful. So we would rather spend some time and energy learning and and tweaking. So really focus on in this particular topic, are you able to convert people over just email address initially. And then once you have that following where you're starting to validate and people are part of that community, they're able to do, give you their email and to, to make change from the little bit, bit of content that you give them, then you can go in and actually even start surveying those individuals or talking with them. And again, thinking about from a very conservative standpoint, if one to 2% of those people enrolled in your program, what would that look like? So if you have 100 people on your email list, would you be happy if one to two people enrolled in your program initially with your first launch? And what would the time involved and you know, what would that look like? Or do you really need 1,000 people in there and to have 10 to 20 people to enroll in your first launch? Now, there's a whole bit of, it is a different world to market online. And it's almost, for, for me, I was so comfortable doing private practice. And it was such an easy thing to convert people. And i like, oh, I know about business. I, I'm help, I know how to help all these people do their business. And then all of a sudden, I moved to, to doing these online courses and it was like relearning business from the ground up. So know that it really is a new avenue completely. There are some pieces that do overlap, but probably less than you realize. And to do it and do it well and have this be a real stream of income, it is, it's going to take you going and digging in and learning this particular method of selling. Just like you had to learn how to do private practice, you have to learn how to to reach out and connect in with people. So don't be afraid to do that. And I think this is also, you know, my number one piece of advice for for anybody who wants to look therapist who wants to look into online courses, is make sure that you're you're not doing this based on needing quick money, or, you know, like, needing to, well, insurance companies aren't reimbursing me what I need to reimburse and I can't pay my mortgage. So I'm going to do this online course on the side, but I'm seeing 35 clients a week and I'm already tapped out. And now I'm adding on basically another business completely on top of it. Like again, this idea of passive income is often a misnomer (laughs) Especially at the beginning, like make sure that you have a solid, stable source of income, that your marketing is on track, that you, that things are flowing in that business, and that if you pull your attention away, that it's not going to stop. Your income isn't going to shift. And make sure that you have enough time to actually do this, that it's not something that you're doing you know every weekend you're spending 20 hours on this project meaning you're not taking any downtime and then you're going back into your clinical practice and you know hitting the ground running and it's so easy to burn yourself out along the way you really have to make sure your practice is flowing and solid and profitable and carve out some time make sure things are streamlined where you go you know what my business I work let's say you you no more than 40 hours you're carving out and saying wow I've figured out how to do my private practice in this 32 hours now I have 8 hours a week that I can commit to this other stream of income to figuring out these online courses and that when I'm doing those 8 hours there's still room for everything that I need to do in my business in those other 32 And my business income isn't all of a sudden, I shift and I go, oh, my caseload just dropped, right? Because I'm trying to work 60, 78 hours a week. The amount of clinicians that are overworking right now is astronomical. And many of them don't even realize it. I get on the phone with people, I have conversations, I find out what their caseload is, I listen to them for two or three minutes, and then I say, how many hours are you working a week? They go, I don't even know. I said, well, here's the math that I just did. I hear a minimum of 55 hours a week and probably closer to 65. And then they stop and they go, yeah, that's about right. I said, how are you feeling in your body? Not good. How's your medical? You have any autoimmune things popping up? Actually, yeah. (laughs) Right? Not really great. So really like I think it's such a powerful thing. We as clinicians need to reach more people. There's coaches doing these online courses who don't have half of the expertise and and passion that you do. I think it's really important for us to get out there, but we need to do that from a place of balance and from a place where we have the space to do this.
0: That's so much good wisdom in that. Miranda, I can't believe this time just flew by. <laughs> like, it really did. I'm so grateful for you because I, I feel like I wanted to have this conversation because I feel like, especially as online courses and even this whole like online course creation platforms, all this stuff really explodes. I mean, there's always this, and I feel it like on the internet. It's like online courses are the the, the golden egg, you know. And I I wanted to have this conversation because want to love to just be real on the podcast and online courses offer so much potential, but I think we have to balance it with all of these other things. And I especially love that last point you made about making sure that you have the business streamlined and you have hours where you can actually free up to work on your course. I found, I mean, it's such a simple piece of advice, but it's so powerful because If you have those other things set up, then it allows you to be more creative and validate the course and then create like a truly awesome course that you feel passionate about instead of creating a course where you're scared it's not going to do well and then you're driven by other things besides service.
1: Yes. Or you're, you're throwing money and time at it through ads that you don't understand how they work or you're hiring someone to do this and all of a sudden you go... I was already in like a tight position and now I'm in a tighter position. People don't, as therapists, we like to take ownership of things, right? So when something doesn't work, we go, "There, not something was wrong with the process. There's something wrong with me. We are so good at that (laughs) as therapists. Like we are so, like we talk about like not being shame based, but we are like super like susceptible (laughs) to that shame based thing. There's something wrong with me. I did it wrong. My program isn't good enough. People don't like me versus going, Oh, I probably, I haven't dug deep down into how to do this. This is a very specific skill set. And it takes work and energy. And I'm trying to push this into a schedule in a life that's already like pretty full. And one of the things, I don't know how many clinicians I've worked through this with who have wanted to do online courses as a stopgap of I'm struggling financially. And 99.9% of the time, what they need is not an online course. It's they need to dig into their business and they're ignoring real issues, and they're uncomfortable with the cost of doing business and charging what they're worth. And they're trying to manage this through this other online course. And guess what? If you're uncomfortable with money and business and charging what you're worth, you're going to replicate that, those same issues in your online course or any other business that you do.
0: Yeah. Such good, Such good tips. Miranda, you guys are doing a lot of stuff over at ZinniMe, including creating a brand new community that's off of Facebook. Um, would you mind just telling us a little bit about that and how we can find it?
1: Yeah, you know, we there's so many things that are great about Facebook, but there's a lot of things that are not great. And we are really excited to have a free online community for people in private practice on a platform called Mighty Networks. You can go into your app store, download Mighty Networks onto your phone, and you can type in ZinnyMe, Z-Y-N-N-Y-M-E. And we have a free community for private practice that also includes trainings and courses and everything that you need right there to get started in changing or shifting your private practice. And it's so great because... You can have topics that are where things are in particular categories and you can unfollow or follow particular topics that actually are inter- interest to you. We also have a pre-licensed community over there for any of those pre-licensed people listening to the podcast. We love you too. <laughs> and There is a whole community for people that are gathering hours and doing exams as well. And it's something that you can—you don't have to get sucked in to this stream or ads or all these other things. You can just go in, do what you need to do, and then go on with life.
0: Perfect. And I'll definitely link to that in the show notes, which you guys can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 214. Miranda, thank you again for doing this. And I'm just so grateful for you.
1: I am so grateful for you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Miranda. And especially if you've been thinking about online courses, I I hope that it's given you just some encouragement. One, I think to slow down and to think through things before actually launching the course. Um, I mentioned this on the interview, but it just, it breaks my heart to see a lot of, you know, our field have such a passion for online courses and wanting to create it. And then, Ending up spending all this money and time and resources, and then just get very little sales. And I love the way that Miranda talks about it. It's something that I just try to always constantly remind myself that it is better to validate first before you create. And especially with online courses, I think that's very applicable. So, Miranda mentioned a number of resources, and you can find that again on the show notes page over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 214 as we wrap up again, wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at wellness Fi for supporting today's podcast. But wellness Fi is uh, modernized bookkeeping and tax services for private practices. And they specifically work with therapists and counselors from coast to coast. So if you are just in a season where you're like, man, I really need some tax advising and bookkeeping help. Um, I would encourage you to reach out to them. I actually, this past year, I hired a bookkeeper for the very first time and I really struggled with whether to hire a bookkeeper because one, there was like the cynical part of me. I was like, okay, I mean, I can manage QuickBooks and figure out the expenses and all that stuff on my own, right? Why have somebody else do it? And let me tell you, just having somebody to manage your books for you, it's a complete game changer because at the end of the day, when you are you're looking and you're getting ready for tax season and to have a printout where everything is categorized and ready to go, as opposed to you spending like a Friday or Saturday, not that this has happened, trying to like reconcile things. It's it's just such a game changer. And WellnessFi actually provides both bookkeeping as well as tax prep services. And then the really cool thing is if you're like familiar with Profit First, they actually are familiar with that too. And so they can help you kind of think through that and all of those different things. You can learn more about Wellness WellnessFi over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash wellnessfi. And please mention that you heard it on uh, the Selling the Couch podcast. Have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time. Bye.